All right, we'll turn to Colossians. Turn to Colossians. And this morning I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What is the best thing that you could pray for yourself uh, or for your brother or for your sister? Or for your spouse. Um, what is the best thing that you could pray for a church? What is the best thing that you could pray for Trinity Bible Church? Well, Paul answers the question by this prayer in uh, this passage in uh, Colossians near the beginning of it. And uh, as in all Paul's letters, he starts with a, a greeting, a wonderful greeting, which he embellishes in a, in a way that's distinct to his gospel. And then uh, follows it with a thanksgiving for the people that he's writing to and for their salvation, and then a prayer for them. And that's what this is. That's what I read. I read uh, the prayer. And uh, Paul uses those elements to set the tone for the rest of the letter and to introduce things that are going to be important for the rest of the letter. So this prayer for the Colossians, the Colossian believers, in one sense is a very general prayer, a prayer that he could pray for any of the churches that he's writing to, for example, um, when he writes to the church in Philippi at, at about the same time when Paul was also in prison, he prays something very similar uh, for them that he does also here for the uh, Colossians. So it's a very general prayer. In another sense, however, the prayer reflects a specific threat to this church and even seeks to strive against that uh, threat. And uh, that was, as we talked about last time we were in Colossians, a particular brand of false teaching that was plaguing the church in uh, Colossae and threatening to take hold uh, in this church as Paul wrote to them. Paul had never been to this church. He had never met probably almost all of the people um, at this church. Uh, but his friend Epaphras told him, and Epaphras was the founder of the church in Colossae. He was from Colossae. That was his hometown. But his friend Colossae, or friend Epaphras, updated him about uh, the conditions in the church in Colossae and told him about this problem as well, this false teaching that was uh, plaguing the church in Colossae. Although the church there was small, the city was small, of uh, Colossae, this false teaching seems to have originated there in the church or first took hold there. And it seems like it hadn't spread very far. It had only spread within the valley that Colossae was in. And uh, there were two other cities in that valley, two other churches, the Church of Laodicea and the church in uh, Hierapolis. Um, and those three churches had banded together to send Paul, send Epaphras to minister to Paul in his imprisonment in uh, Rome. 
What was the false teaching? We talked about this a bit uh, last time we went through. And uh, the details are a bit difficult to trace. There's just glimpses of it throughout this letter of um, uh, Colossians. There seems to be Jewish elements blended with uh, pagan Gentile elements, which is uh, to be um, expected. But according to this false teaching, what was happening in the church in uh, Colossae is what always happens when people take their eyes off of Christ and try to live the Christian life without Christ. And so uh, the big burden of this epistle is to draw their attention back to Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, the centrality of uh, Christ. What always happens when people take their eyes off of Christ, even Christians fall into this because these are real believers uh, in the church in Colossae, and yet they had they had gone backward uh, according to this uh, false teaching. But what always happens when people take their eyes off of Christ is that the Christian life begins to be twisted into a powerless, lifeless, man-made uh, religion. And so it's always the same boring thing that happens. It's really not that interesting. Maybe that's why we're not told that much about the false teaching um, itself. Um, it brings out all the same tendencies always when people take their eyes off of Christ. And so this false teaching, though we don't know all of the details of it, it's a perennial challenge because it comes from the human heart, the same uh, sort of thing uh, in whatever flavor uh, it comes in, the, the temptation to take your eyes off of Christ. So in this passage uh, where Paul uh, prays for the Colossians with reference even to this false teaching, Paul prays for one thing. He prays for one thing. It's the best thing that he could pray for, and that's in verses 9 and 10. He prays for one thing with three accompanying effects, and that's those effects are in verses 10 through 14. And actually, I don't think we'll get to them this morning. I think we're just going to look at the one thing in verses 9 and 10. I kept you all pretty late last time as I introduced uh, Colossians, so I think this message will be a little bit um, shorter. So Paul prays for one thing, a simple thing, and yet it's the thing that they needed most. And it's what you need uh, as well. It's why the Lord brought you here uh, this morning. He prayed, and here it is. Here it is. He prayed that they would know the will of God in their lives. He prayed that they would know the will of God in their lives. That's what he prayed for. Um, and let me read it. Verse 9 and, 9 and 10 again. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask... Here's what he asked for, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. And I'll stop there because then he goes into the different activities that accompany this prayer request uh, for them. But it's a prayer request that they might know God's will in their lives. Paul says, for this reason... Since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. And so Paul, um, the day that he's talking about is the day that he heard about their salvation. And from that day, he started praying for them and uh, he never stopped. He prayed for them from that day um, forward. And so it was out of joy of hearing of their true salvation and that there's a church now in uh, Colossae that Paul uh, prayed uh, for them. But at some point... Maybe when Epaphras came uh, to to him, at some point that joy mingled with 
concern for them as well. Yes, they're truly saved. The gospel has gone there. There's a church that's been planted uh, there. They're continuing in the faith, but they're in the process of adopting something else. They've taken their eyes off of uh, Christ, and they're starting to do what people do when that happens, when they take their eyes off of uh, Christ. And so out of joy and concern now as well, it prompted Paul to engage in prayer. Or better said, it prompted him to never stop praying once he had started uh, praying uh, for them. So as he follows this thanksgiving for their true salvation in Christ, he says, For this reason also, since the day we've heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. With the knowledge of his will. What is he praying for? What is he praying for when he prays that they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will? Well, scripture speaks of the will of God in a couple of different uh, ways. Um, God works all things after the counsel of his will. Uh, that's Ephesians chapter 1 and verse uh, 11. And so that's true of all things that occur. Whatsoever comes to pass is God's will, is God's choice, and it can't be thwarted. It all uh, comes uh, to pass. And so that's one way of in which the scriptures, like in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, speak of God's will, of him choosing all the things that uh, come to pass, even evil itself in a mysterious way. He's not God is never the doer of evil, but it's not outside of uh, his uh, divine will, uh, even to work it according to his uh, good uh, purpose. And so that's one way in which the Bible uh, speaks of the will of God, but there's also another way which the Bible fairly often speaks of the will of God. And that is a way in which God stoops down to us to speak to us like he would speak to a child and say, this is what I want you to do. This is, and, and it's the language of desire there. This is what I will for you to do. And it's a, when he speaks to us in that way, it's a way in which um, it can be thwarted. This is what I want you to do, but it's possible that you're not going to do it. And so theologians have uh, taken those two ways in which scripture itself speaks of God's will and they've uh, divided it. They're not imposing it on, on scripture. It comes from scripture itself, but they've divided it into the secret will. Only God knows what's going to take place in uh, the future versus the revealed will, what he wants us to do, what we ought to do. And I'll give you a couple of passages that uh, speak of God's will or his desire in that sense. Psalm 51 verse six, God desires truth in the innermost part. That's true for every person. That's what God desires in a person is truth in uh, the innermost part. Or what the Lord said to his enemies, the, the Pharisees. He says, go and learn from scripture what I have written. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. That's what's desired for me. And that's the language of uh, God's uh, will. Well, what, what sense is it meant here as Paul prays uh, for them? For this reason, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And uh, it's not the knowledge of God's secret will that he's hoping that they're going to uh, learn uh, about. It's what God wants them to do, what God wants them to do in a particular uh, uh, circumstances. So he's not praying that they would know in advance what they will do, though God knows the future, it's not a prayer for them to know the future before uh, it happens, 
But it's a prayer to know in advance what I ought to do. I don't know what the future is, but what I'm uh, going to do. And sometimes Christians can even get a little bit confused uh, about that and think that spirituality is being able to know in advance what God is going to do. Let's say somebody gets sick and uh, we don't know whether God's going to heal them, maybe even miraculously uh, or not. Um, That's not what Paul's praying for, that you'd know in advance what God's secret will uh, is. What he's praying for, for the Colossians, is that they would know in advance, that's when it's helpful, uh, to know it, what they ought to do in a specific situation. So how would they know this? How would this prayer be answered as he prays this uh, for them? That you be filled with the knowledge of his uh, will. Well, God tells us what he wants us to do in Scripture, and it includes a a number of commands that tell us what to do. Uh, and so uh, there are com- commands in Scripture that command us to do certain things, and there's commands in Scripture that forbid us from doing uh, certain things uh, as well. And so that is uh, certainly a way in which God tells us what he desires uh, from us, and that is uh, for sure. But I don't think that's what Paul's praying about. I don't think that's what Paul is praying about here. And I, I say that because of the way in which he describes it here. I pray that ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And uh, wisdom is not just about acquiring knowledge. Wisdom is about being able to apply that knowledge to a specific situation. It's not spelled out for us in scripture. We're given principles. So think of the book of Proverbs. That's about wisdom. It doesn't tell you what to do in every uh, circumstances. It tells you how to navigate certain situations and and do what uh, God would have you uh, to do. And so uh, the zone in which Paul is praying that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will is the zone in which nothing is specifically commanded and nothing is specifically uh, forbidden and yet they're to navigate knowing God's will in that area. A lot of life falls into that uh, area. Should you leave a church? People people struggle with that. Is it time for to leave a certain church? Maybe their church is going astray. That's a very difficult decision. It requires wisdom. You can't go to a command of scripture and say, now's the time. Uh, should you minister to this person? Or should you minister to this person? And how should you do it? How should you uh, reach out to them? It requires thought, creativity, initiative to understand what the Lord would have you to do. And yet God cares about that. He cares not just that you minister to people, but the specific people that you minister to in the way in which uh, you do it. How should you spend your time? There's plenty of ways you could spend your time avoiding things forbidden and after doing all the things that are commanded of you, hopefully. Uh, how are you going to spend your time? How are you going to prioritize uh, your time uh, as well? So it's specifically in that uh, zone that Paul prays that they be filled with the knowledge of the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And in this zone, let me say two things uh, about it, and they're related. Uh, It's not one size fits all. It's not the same for everybody. Just because one person successfully navigates knowing the will of God in a certain area for all the relationships that they're uh, accountable uh, for and the situation that they're uh, accountable for doesn't mean that another person can come along and do something very similar to that. Maybe something different is what's wise in that uh, situation. You have to apply uh, wisdom for that. So it's not the same for everyone. And also, it's not simple. 
it's complex. Life is complex. If you're just following instructions, it's simple. I've got a command. I know what to do, or I'm forbidden from doing this, so I know exactly uh, what to do. But he's talking about a zone of life that falls into a different category, where nothing is specifically commanded, nothing is specifically uh, forbidden, and yet we're to pursue what God wants in those areas. Not what we want, but what God wants uh, in those uh, areas. And it's complicated. There are many things, many factors uh, to take in and not just uh, one. So Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in those uh, situations, in all spiritual wisdom and uh, understanding. And it's, a, it's kind of an interesting and kind of picturesque word that Paul uses for their knowledge of God's uh, will to be, not just know it, but to be filled with it. Maybe uh, to, uh, so it's all you can think about. Think of what would God have me to do in this uh, situation or to know it in abundance so that you're eager to carry it out is to be filled uh, with uh, the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why is that so important to Paul for uh, the Colossians? To not just pray, I'm praying for you, that you'd obey everything that God commands you, that you'd avoid everything that he forbids you. That would be a great prayer. That, that is a good prayer. We should pray that uh, for each other. But why is it so important for Paul to pray this, that he would fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, things that require thought, things that are not easy, things that are uh, complicated in, uh, this, in, this, in this way? And I think the answer is because of what that specific zone that he's praying about, where nothing's commanded, nothing's forbidden, and yet we're still to honor the Lord and to uh, conform ourselves uh, to his will, because of what that zone reveals, because of what that zone uh, reveals uh, about us. I've said that uh, it's complicated, and it is, uh, but I can tell you how to find spiritual wisdom and insight in uh, this area of your life, because I know the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden, Christ. And I know what he stands for, especially in his great and central act of salvation, is love, is love, is love for others, love uh, for others. And so in these issues of um, that require spiritual wisdom, the answer, and I, I can't tell you the answer, in fact, if you come and talk to me about a specific situation, I may not be able to tell you what to do, but I can tell you this, you should let love decide. You should let yourself being characterized by the same love of Christ in whom are all the wisdom, uh, the treasures of wisdom and insight uh, are hidden. The same love that sent Christ to the cross to be stretched out to die for others with open arms is what will give you the wisdom and the insight to pursue that same kind of love in the situation that you need wisdom and that you need uh, insight in. Let love be, let that love be the teacher uh, in that. Um, if you have no spiritual insight, according to that kind of love, in this particular zone where nothing is commanded, nothing is specifically uh, uh, forbidden, what it reveals is that even in your obedience to the commands of Scripture or your abstaining from the things that Scripture uh, forbids, you're doing it with the wrong motive. It all should be absorbed by love. 
And so he prays about this area because I think it brings to, to view what's in the whole uh, Christian life. It all should be motivated by that same love. So if you have no spiritual insight and no spiritual wisdom in this uh, area uh, where, where we don't have specific commands uh, of Scripture, you're probably doing all of the Christian life with the wrong motive. You've probably gotten off track. You've probably lost sight of Christ. And so that's why Paul, to set the tone for this epistle, specifically prays for wisdom and insight in that area. How are the Colossians filling this void of areas of life where uh, where they didn't have a specific command of uh, Scripture or something specifically uh, forbidden? They were filling it not with spiritual insight, but with more man-made rules. More man-made rules. And uh, you'll notice about their rules, they're the same for everybody. The same for everybody. There's no wisdom required, no thought uh, required. And they're not complicated, balancing a number of things, acting, asking how you can act, how the Lord would act, want you to act according to love, but they're just very simple. Just turn your mind off and follow these man-made rules uh, that they did to cover this void because they're lacking spiritual insight. Spiritual insight is to approach these things with the same love of Christ. And so Paul talks about this is this section of the letter where whatever the, uh, whatever the false teaching kind of comes into view in glimpses, but he says, um, Colossians chapter two, verse 20. If you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which are all referred to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are things which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Colossians took their eyes off of Christ, and they started lacking spiritual insight, spiritual wisdom. So they used something else to plug the gap. They used man-made rules, do not touch, do not taste. Uh, uh, do not handle rules that were the same for everybody had kind of the appearance of spirituality, but are of no use against, uh, the flesh. So Paul prays for them, especially in this area that they'd be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, not natural, not fleshly wisdom, not the things that the world uses to try to control, uh, behavior, control the lust of the flesh, but spiritual wisdom. And understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. And so what Paul's concerned with is not just uh, something intellectual that I would know the right thing to do. That's not the only thing that he's praying about, uh, but that we would also walk in it. It's not just knowledge that he's praying for, but practical knowledge that we don't not only know it, but be able to walk uh, in it as well. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects. Now, I've got to quibble with the translator here of Scripture, and I think I've done this before recently, so uh, this may be a, a repeat uh, for you. And I don't like to criticize the translations of the Bible because they do such a good job uh, that they normally have a very good reason for uh, the translation. But I think this one is one that, that really did get through uh, the cracks and uh, what I'm quibbling with is the word worthy, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, the word that's used here is translated, I think, by, by almost all the translations as uh, worthy. It, it's a word that can mean worthy and often does. 
But the basic meaning of the word is fitting, matching, corresponding, being suitable. Uh, and one way to match and to correspond and to fit something is to be worthy of something, to deserve something, whether you're uh, worthy of a punishment or worthy of a reward. Um, that's one, certainly one way of fitting and matching. And so it's a possible translation of this word. For sure, it means that uh, in other contexts, I'm sure, uh, very often. But not here. I don't like it here. I don't like it here. Uh, that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Um, because it gives the idea of deserving. And I don't think that's to be our aim, is to be deserving of uh, the Lord. And let me give you a couple reasons for that. The Lord gives himself to the unworthy. In fact, he only gives himself to the unworthy. It says that in scripture, he justifies the ungodly. He only gives himself to those who come before him as unworthy of him and never become worthy uh, of him uh, as well. And so I don't think it's good to make it our aim to be worthy of the Lord or even to try to pay him back for what uh, he has done for us. In fact, in one sense, trying to be worthy of the Lord, maybe I'm quibbling too much, is a, a disqualifying uh, thing to try to be worthy of the Lord. He gives himself to those who are uh, unworthy. And so I think a much better translation, actually gives a much better idea, is so you'll have the insight according to his will in these areas so that you will walk in a manner matching the Lord, fitting the Lord, corresponding to the Lord, being the same, being an imitation of the Lord, but not worthy, not worthy of uh, uh, the Lord. I think also it, it walking in a manner worthy of the Lord changes the meaning in an important way because to match the Lord, which is what it's talking about here, to to be corresponding to the Lord is specifically to give yourself to the unworthy, to give yourself to the unworthy. That's what the Lord did. He gave himself to those who didn't deserve his love at all. That's what he does uh, for, for us. Um, and I think this is what it means. This is how we go beyond simply obeying commands and abstaining from things that are, uh, forbidden, uh, uh, to us is to be worthy, is to be matching of the Lord in just this way of giving himself in love to the most, uh, unworthy. Um, there are, Two expressions of the law of God that I'm thinking of in the Old Testament. One is the law of Moses, which is a specific um, manifestation of the perfect law of God for the nation of Israel. A second is the law that's stamped on every human heart, whether they've heard uh, the law of Moses or uh, or not. And so uh, these are things that are commanded, things that are forbidden. That's what uh, the law is uh, for what Christ did when he gave himself for uh, the unworthy to come and die for unworthy sinners was not commanded by any of those manifestations of the law. There's no command in there that tells you to come and die for someone who's not worthy of uh, your love. You could obey the law without ever doing that. And yet that is what Christ uh, did. He did it. It came to die for unworthy sinners. And it's that love fulfills the whole law, but it does more than that. It fulfills everything that God commands or everything he forbids, but it also goes beyond it. It's like new wine in old wineskins that not only does everything commanded, 
but goes beyond uh, as well by uh, exercising this same kind of love. And that's why when Christ gave his life for the unworthy, he said to his disciples, I'm giving you a new commandment, something you haven't heard before, that you love one another as I have loved you. So also you should love for one another. Or when he came preaching the gospel, one of the things that shocked people uh, and still shocks people today is he preached love for enemies. Kind of love that he's speaking about. Kind of love that he came to die on the cross uh, to show us this love is love for uh, enemies. And so uh, it's for those reasons I'm complaining about this uh, translation. The insight here and the way we should walk is not to be worthy of the Lord in some way. In fact, to follow the Lord is to give yourself to the unworthy, but it's to be matching of him. And that's what gives spiritual insight in these areas in which we have no commands or uh, n- nothing forbidden uh, to us uh, here. And so it's in this very zone where we don't have a command, we don't have something forbidden uh, to us that we're not to use another checklist after all God's commands have been checked and everything he forbids has been checked. Add another one for this zone. Do not touch, do not taste, uh, do not handle. No, what's to fill the gap is actually what's to fill the whole Christian life, whether we're obeying commands or are operating in the, the realm of wisdom or, what, um, or whatever, is Christ-like love. And so to lose sight of Christ is to lose sight of love. It's to lose sight of the insight we need. We don't have a specific command of scripture. It's to lose sight of what should inform all of our obedience to the Lord, including all of his uh, commands. And so the best thing that you could pray for yourself, for your brother, for your sister, for Trinity Bible Church, is that we be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And it's a knowledge of his will. It's a, it's a wisdom and understanding that's all hidden in Christ. It's not, none of it is found outside of Christ. You don't need anything else except what you know through Christ and what you know of his love. So, um, this is what Paul prays for. Praise that we'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and insight to walk in a way that is matching to the Lord, that is matching uh, to the Lord and pleasing him in all respects. There's three activities of those who have this spiritual insight into God's will and who walk in it. And that's what's in the the rest of this passage. We won't do it this morning, but I'll just uh, say what what these are. These other three activities, when you have spiritual insight, when you're walking according to real spiritual insight, these are the activities that are going to characterize you. And we'll look at them next time. It's increasing fruit bearing as knowledge of God increases. That's what he mentions next. It's increasing power to persevere. When you have insight, uh, it also comes with this increasing power to persevere. And then finally, it's joyful thanksgiving to the Father. So we'll leave that up for next time. But let me leave you with this question. How are you walking? How are you walking? And I'm specifically mentioning, I'm, I'm thinking of, not in things specifically commanded or specifically forbidden, although it's good to consider that as well. That would be a very profitable uh, thing to do too. And that's often where the struggle is, is uh, in things commanded and uh, forbidden. But um, that's not the question I'm asking. How are you walking in things where you don't have something specifically commanded or specifically uh, uh, forbidden to you, but it's how you spend your time. It's how you spend your energy. It's how you spend uh, your thoughts. Are you acting according to spiritual insight into the will of God? Do you need spiritual insight into the will of God to know how to walk and to walk 
in those uh, areas. Where do you get it? Where do you get the spiritual insight that you need that Paul is praying for the Colossians uh, for? Well, there's no better place to get it than right here at the Lord's table, the thing that he wants us to be reminded of and uh, to be reminded of often, which is the central act by which Christ shows all of his character in what he's given to us. The love for the unworthy that's offered to you in the body and the blood of Christ. It's pictured here by the bread uh, and the cup at uh, the Lord's table. Let that love, that love, the love of Christ, be your only hope. Abandon all other hope except for that, and especially as you partake of uh, the Lord's Supper. And then let it be your spiritual insight as well. Let it guide you in how you should go in every area of your life. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the love of Christ. We thank you that his love is for the unworthy, for us. And yet Christ is ours in the midst of our unworthiness uh, because, because you've given us faith uh, in him to simply take you at your word when Christ uh, says, my body is for you and my blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins. We pray that you'd strengthen our faith in this love that the world has never seen, never heard of uh, until Christ uh, came. Pray that you'd strengthen our faith to believe it and then to be transformed by it and to walk according to the same spiritual insight uh, and wisdom that's found only in Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.